We praise the Lord that we have nothing to fear in this world. We can take heart because he has overcome the world. I want you to take your Bibles and open them up to 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. And as we think about this, these verses, I want you to think about us as human beings. We as human beings, we have senses by which we can experience all the glories of this world that the Lord has created for us. We have the sense of sight whereby we can see the beauty of his creation. We have the sense of sound whereby we can hear the wonderful glories of, of music and, and birds chirping. We have the sense of, of smell whereby we can, we can breathe in the fresh air on a cold winter's morning. We have the sense of touch whereby we can feel the touch of a loved one as they hold, as we hold their hands. And the beauty of all these senses is heightened for us when we realize they are a gift from God and not all of us possess every single one of them. And yet we thank God for the senses that we do have. Yet this week, as I was thinking about all of this, I, I tried in my head to, to rank the senses that we have, the touch, the smell, the sight, and all the sound, all those senses that we have. But, but the one sense that kind of ranked highly, I couldn't quite think of a, a number one, but the one that ranked highly for me is the one that I didn't mention for you just yet. And that is the sense of taste. <laughs> I love the sense of taste. I love tasting something good. Obviously, our sense of taste can go wrong at times because we taste things that are awful, awful as well. But there's nothing quite like the experience of tasting something that is good. And so like I've shared with you before, oftentimes when I would go to um, a restaurant, I already know, especially if I've been there before, I already know what I'm going to have. I already know what I'm going to eat because I have already tasted what is good and I don't want to sacrifice my meal on something that I don't think I am going to like. And so we have these spiritual senses and uh, we have these physical senses. And one of the senses I think that is so good is that of taste. Well, here in this passage, Peter is going to speak to us not of physical senses, but of spiritual senses. Listen to what he says in this passage we have before us this morning. Chapter 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, so put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you hear what he is saying there? Do you hear what Peter is saying in this, this passage right at the end? What he says is, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, therefore everything that he has said in verses 1 and 2 hinges on this fact, whether you have indeed tasted the goodness of God. 
Oh, and for those of us who are the Lord's, we have tasted his goodness, have we not? What does it mean to taste but to experience the goodness of God? And then what does it mean to experience the goodness of God? Well, to figure that out, we turn back to the verses that he is referencing. What is he referencing? Well, he is referencing Psalm 34. The psalm that Dad read out for us earlier this morning, Psalm 34, in which is a psalm attributed to David. It is a psalm of David in which he praises the Lord for his great deliverance from trials and troubles. Where he praises the Lord for his great salvation. Where he praises the Lord for his great redemption from any condemnation. And in the middle of this psalm, in the centerpiece of this psalm, in Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, he says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. David is is calling on God's people, calling on all people to come and to taste and see that the Lord is good. How does he know the Lord's goodness? Well, he knows the Lord's goodness in his salvation. He knows the Lord's goodness in his deliverance. He knows the Lord's goodness in his redemption. And so for us who have tasted that the Lord is good, we are those who have tasted his deliverance, his redemption, his salvation. Do you remember the moment when you first experienced that taste of the Lord's goodness? Did you not at the very moment when you realized there is now no more condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus, did you not taste at that very moment that the Lord is good? The moment you realized the depth and the weight and the depravity of your sin and yet the punishment that you should experience, And the moment you realized all that is gone because of Christ Jesus, did you not taste that the Lord is good? The moment that you realize that you are free from the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and destined for the place where there is no more weeping, did you not at that moment taste and see that the Lord is good? Those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we have tasted his goodness, have we not? And yet I'm fully aware this morning that there are some watching in right now and you realize, I know rituals, I know religion, but I don't quite know the experience of the taste of the Lord's goodness. I would say with the psalmist to you, Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once you taste and see that, there is no going back, is there? 
For those of us who have tasted the Lord's goodness, His salvation, there is no going back, is there? Because He is so good compared to anything else in this world. If indeed you have experienced that, we are called to live a life that follows after Him. Once we have experienced this great taste of the Lord's goodness, the taste of the things of the world becomes sour. And the taste of the things of God become good. And so here we have it this morning. Those of us who have tasted are called to live a life before the Lord. The psalmist, David, in in Psalm 34, he says, Oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. But Peter, when he references this, he references this slightly different. He says in verse 3, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Which forces us to ask the question, have I? And those of us who are believers and those of us who have trusted in God, we say, yes, I have. I have tasted that he is good. Well, then Peter calls us to live a life that is in line with what we have tasted. And so that is what verses 1 and 2 is all about. You see, everything hinges on whether you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so he simply makes these two points in verse 1 and 2. The first point is this. Those who have tasted that the Lord is good, those who have experienced the goodness of his salvation, should put away all the ways of the world. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, you should put away, despise and hate all the ways of the world. This is what he says in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Do you see what he says? Put it all away. But he begins the verse with a small word and it is that word so. And that word so is a lot like the word therefore. It gives us a conclusion on the basis of what he has just said. So put away all this stuff. Why? Because he has just called us, you will remember in in the weeks past, you will remember this main command, this call to do what? To love one another. Love one another sincerely and love one another earnestly. Why? Because you have been born again. And those of us who are to love one another are then to put away anything that would cause us not to love one another. If you want to ruin love in this church, you see these words, you live out these words of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These words are the opposite of what it is to love. And so those of us who have tasted that the Lord is good, we will know that the taste of these things is bad. Envy, malice, hypocrisy, rivalry, anger, slander, all of these things we will know. They don't taste good. And so we will have the desire to put all of these away. There is a word that he uses there. It is a small word. It is the word all. 
And that word really makes a difference. He says it three times in the verse. Put away all malice, all deceit, and all slander. You see, the verses would be a lot easier if he didn't use that word. But you've got to think that there is a reason for it. And and the reason is this. That word makes a big difference. Let me give you an example. If you were to say to your children, you were to um, um, go up to your children's room and, and walk into the room and you were to see all of their clothes, all of their clothes and all of their toys lying on the floor. And you were to say to them, listen, I want you to pick up all this stuff, all your clothes, all your toys. I want you to pick all this stuff and clean it all up by the time I get back. And then you walk away. Maybe you're downstairs for about an hour. You come back upstairs and and you see most of the toys clean, most of the clothes clean. But in the corner, there are a few toys left. At that moment... Does the word all make a difference for you? Yes, it does. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? At that moment, you say to your your child, I told you to pick up all your clothes and all your toys, but you haven't picked up all your clothes and all your toys. You've just picked up some of them. You see, the word all makes a big difference. And here it makes a big difference for us too as believers. You see, if he didn't use the word all, we would make excuses, but here we can't. He tells us to fight the fight of faith. We are at war with these things. And this is going to be difficult for us. Of course it is. To put away all of this stuff, of course that's difficult. Of course that's hard. And yet it is what we are called to do by the power of the Spirit. Put it all away. And the difficulty of this is enhanced when you look at some of the words. You see, often we think of these words as uncontrollable feelings. I, I can't control the feeling of, 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 of what I have. So take, for example, malice. Malice is, is a word of, of hatred, a, a great dislike for someone, a distaste for someone um, that you know. And particularly here for people in the church. And often we would attribute that feeling to an uncontrollable feeling. I just can't control who I don't like. I can't control who I hate. So so I'm just going to live with it. I'm going to like some people and love some people and hate others. And I'm not going to put it all away because to put it all away would be impossible. And yet you need to realize By virtue of the fact that we have been given a command here means that we have a choice. This malice isn't an uncontrollable feeling that we have towards someone. This is a choice that you have. So if you are feeling malice or hatred towards someone, here is what is happening to you. You are choosing not to love them. And you are choosing to hate them. And what he is saying to us is choose, choose to put them all away. We do this with another word like envy. 
We, we think that envy is just this uncontrollable feeling. I have this envy towards someone else, their giftings, what they're doing, whatever else it is. I have this envy, their possessions, their family, their friends. I, I'm envious of them. I can't control that feeling. And yet by virtue of this command, it is a choice. And the crazy thing about this choice of envy is what it reveals to us. If you are envious of who someone else is or what they have, you have lost sight of all that you have in Christ. If you are envious of someone and what they have, you are losing sight of all that you have in Christ. What you are saying in that moment, what you are choosing in that moment is to say, Christ is not enough, I need more. And in this, Peter is urging us, choose love, don't choose envy. Choose love, don't choose malice. Choose love, don't choose slander. Put all this away, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The second point he wants to make is this. Not only just to put away all these things, but he also wants us to put on something. Those of us who have tasted that the Lord is good should long for and love and crave his word. If we have tasted that the Lord is good, don't you want more of that taste? You want more of that goodness? Well, how are you going to get more of that? You are going to get more of that through his word. And this is what verse 2 says. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for the word. This actually, in verse 2, is the main command of these verses. In fact, if I was to title this message in a different way, I would title it this, Long for the Word. In other words, crave the word, desire the word. And I love the imagery that he gives here. The imagery of that newborn baby. And everybody who has held a newborn baby realizes this imagery, whether it's your niece or your nephew or your grandchild or your son or your daughter. You know what this imagery means. But more specifically, the parent knows what this imagery means. The mother knows what this imagery means. Because for newborn babies, one of the things that causes most stress in a, in a mother's life is all that surrounds feeding this newborn baby. If you're a mother or have been a mother, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The stress of feeding this newborn baby and all that surrounds it, and we know what that is. The stress is caused by many things. Number one, um, people think they know everything that you are to do in order to feed your baby. And so it causes stress whether you're to have a bottle or not have a bottle, formula or no formula, what time you're to feed them, what schedule you're to feed them on. Everybody seems to know the answers and so it causes you stress. 
Another thing that causes you stress uh, as a mother is your, your desire to, to feed this baby. You want to care for this baby, and yet it is just not happening for you in the early days. It's hard sometimes to feed a baby in the early days of your birth, and so that causes stress. But do you know what causes the most amount of stress in relation to feeding the baby? It is the baby's unrelenting, restless desire for milk. You see, if the baby didn't have this restless desire, there would be no stress. If the baby didn't cry all the time to get this milk, there would be no stress. If, you didn't, if the baby didn't wake up every two to three hours, there would be no stress. If the baby didn't fuss and, 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 and give out, even when you're trying to give them the very thing that they want, there would be no stress. What causes stress is their unrelenting and restless desire for that milk. That is what we as believers should be like with the spiritual milk of the word. We should not be satisfied until we have had the word. We should crave and desire the word like this newborn baby does. Crave it and long for it and desire it just like a newborn baby. And if we have tasted that the Lord is good, that is what we are going to want more of, more of the word. And that's what this spiritual milk is referring to. I know that because of what he has said in verses 23 to 25. He has been describing the word in chapter 1. The word is imperishable. The word is living. The word is abiding. He even quotes Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This word is the good news. And so that is the spiritual milk that we are to crave again and again in our lives, just like the newborn baby. But often, like the feelings of verse 1, we think that these feelings in verse 2 should be uncontrollable feelings. And in one sense, that is true for the believer who has tasted that the Lord is good. There is going to suddenly be this desire for the word of God in your life. That's actually one of the signs, I, I believe, for those who, who are Christians and who do love the Lord, is you are going to love it when he speaks. You are going to love his word. And so one of the signs is that kind of feeling that you have for his word is that desire for your, his word. And in that sense, it is an incontrollable feeling. And yet, we realize in this verse, he is giving a command. And the command tells us that this is a choice. He is commanding us, long for spiritual milk, crave it, desire it, yearn for it like the newborn baby. Choose to desire the word. Choose to long for the word. It is a choice. And right now, in these days, when possibly some of us have, have a bit more time on our hands, you have a choice before you. Will I long for the word 
or will I long for the world? You have a choice. It is up to you. You know, Brendan and I in discussing uh, in the weeks past and in the weeks now in terms of how we might encourage you. One of the things that we have decided to do is try and provide for you many opportunities to engage in the word. Because we know that is what you need at this time more than anything else to feed your souls. And yet, even though we are going to provide those opportunities for you, the choice is yours, whether you are going to long for the word or not. That's your choice. Can't make you, can't force you. But if you have tasted that the Lord is good, you are called to long for more of that. And don't you want more of that? Don't you want more of God? Don't you want to experience more of God and his presence and his glory? And crave the word. Can I ask you an important question? It is a really important question and it is to do with these verses. How are you doing spiritually right now? How is your walk with Jesus right now? Imagine I'm a close friend and just coming up to you right now, asking you that question, bold and in your face. How is your walk with Jesus right now? How would you rate it between zero and ten? What would you rate your walk with Jesus between zero and ten? What is it right now? I know in many respects that that is an unfair question right now because I know that the reality is for us, it doesn't take a genius to realize when believers aren't meeting together as we're called to do, aren't gathering together as we're supposed to be able to do in normal circumstances. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that it is going to be hard for us to keep encouraged. And so therefore, many of us are spiritually probably down right now, maybe spiritually lazy right now. Well, listen to what this verse says. In verse two, it says this to you. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. There is a direct correlation between your feeding on the word and your spiritual growth. You will not grow if you're not having milk. A baby will not grow if they are not taking spiritual milk. And a baby will not grow if all you give them is junk food all the time. If you throw a baby a Happy Meal and put it in front of them, they're not going to eat. They're not going to thrive. They're not going to grow. But what happens with us as Christians is we put aside sometimes the spiritual milk that is going to cause us to grow. And all we take, all we feast on is the fast food of the world. And then we wonder to ourselves, why haven't I growing? growing because you're not having the spiritual milk and the food that you desperately desperately need that's why you're not growing the christian life is very very simple in this regard you see 
If you ask the question, how was I given new life? In other words, how was I born again? Chapter 1, verse 23 will give you the answer. You were born again by the Spirit. And what was the means that the Spirit used to cause you to be born again? It was the living and abiding and remaining and sustaining and imperishable Word of God. That is what caused you to get new life. Then you ask the question, well, what is it that sustains that life? Well, what is it that sustains that life is the word of God. The word of God brought about that life and the word of God will sustain that life. Just like water with a seed, the water will cause the seed to grow and the, and the water will sustain the flower throughout its life. So it is with the word. The word has caused you to grow and the word will sustain you in your growth. So brothers and sisters, crave that word like a newborn baby craves after milk. In church history, the people of the past knew the importance of the word of God. They knew that the word of God would change lives and change hearts and cause people to grow. So I've been so encouraged thinking of the account of William Tyndale recently. This man was an absolute genius. He was fluent in eight different languages. And by fluent, I mean, if you were to hear him speak those languages, you would think he was a native speaker in those languages. He learned Greek and Hebrew for one purpose, to get the word of God in the English language. Wycliffe, a few hundred years ago, tried, a few hundred years before that, tried an English translation um, from the Latin Vulgate, but it wasn't really that great of a translation. and, And still they were longing for an English translation of the Bible. Martin Luther had translated a German translation of the Bible for the people and there was revival happening in Germany. And William Tyndale, at the age of 30, he wanted to do something similar in England. And so he went to one of the bishops in England and asked for this to happen and he was told no. Why? Because it was illegal in the time for anybody to read the scriptures in English. There was no English Bible translation. They didn't have this. In fact, King Henry VIII at the time made it illegal to attempt to read or translate the Bible into English. So William Tyndale at the age of 30 fled to Europe in order to um, undertake the task of translating the Bible into the language of the people. He wanted to get the Bible into every common person's hand. In fact, it was made so illegal that anybody who attempted to translate this word would be burned at the stake according to King Henry VIII's law. And so Tyndale was a fugitive for 12 years, and he worked hard at a translation. 
He did a translation of, of, the, of the Greek New Testament into English and shipped it off because of the Gutenberg Press, was able to make these copies in, 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 in loads and send them off to England. And it started to set a fire in England, but, but they didn't like it. And so they bought up all the copies and they burned the copies that they could could burn, but as they were buying up the copies, do you know what they were doing? Ironically, is they were funding Tyndale's second edition of the Bible. Finally, Tyndale, after a number of years on the run, trying to get the word of God into every common person's hand, was betrayed by someone who had earned his trust and sold off to them and captured and was in prison. And through the law of the time, He was sentenced to death. Before he died, he called out this prayer. O Lord, open up the eyes of the King of England. He was strangled and he was burned at the stake. Why was he burned at the stake? His one crime was this. He wanted people like you and me to be able to hold this word in our hands he gave up his whole life at the age of 30 he never married he never had children he was on the run all the time in fear of his life he died for the cause all because he wanted the word of god in your hand god used this man in a mighty way he died in 1536 And by 1539, King Henry VIII, the same king, commissioned the printing, the legal printing of a Bible called the Great Bible in English for the people. The Lord had answered his prayer. People died so that we could have this in our hands because they believed that by the word Lives would be changed and people would grow. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we should long for this word. You have a choice today. Will I crave this word? Or will I chase after the fast food that this world has to offer me? I would urge you, continue to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to continue our time of worship right now by singing the song, His Forever. And I would encourage you to sing that right now, wherever you are at. I know it might be awkward, um, probably, you know, for some, if you're in the room with someone else or, or whatever it is, often people are. But whether you're watching it on YouTube or Facebook right now, I'd just encourage you, sing out these words uh, that we are going to sing together. And then we'll have a time of, of reflection and comments together um, in response to the word that we have received. So let's sing his forever now.